The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, We are continuing today in our series, it's called Our Story Begins, and we're walking through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, verse by verse. Uh, The Bible is first and foremost God's story, but one of the hopes we have for this series, we've prayed over this and we're asking God to do it, is that we would be struck with grateful wonder at the fact that God has allowed us to be a part of His story. The truth is, God's story is not just a story. It is the story, and it answers for us the big questions of our existence. Whether people are aware of it or not, everybody uh, at, at at a deep part of who they are is yearning to know the answer to these questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? How should we live? And where are we headed? And we see uh, a lot of answers and in, in a lot of what God has to say on those Uh, kind of profound questions as we work through these first 11 chapters. Now, part of the beauty of seeing that we are all part of this one history and that we share one intended destiny is that the false divisions between us are revealed. Sometimes we don't even notice uh, the the false walls of division that are set up between us by the forces of darkness, by wicked people. Uh, The truth is humankind is one people. We see that studying Genesis, and we have one purpose, Truly, and the heart of God is to see us live as if this is true. We have one who is the father of us all. And uh, I praise God for that truth. And we're hoping that 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 is vibrantly written upon the tablet of your heart as we work through this series. So uh, today we're going to be reading what has been regarded as, and rightly so, a difficult text to preach. Uh, It is primarily a genealogy, uh, but as we briefly discussed last week, 2 Timothy 3 teaches that all Scripture is profitable, uh, and it's good for God's people. So as we read this today, hopefully you will see God's gracious providence come through in the fact that we landed on these verses on this particular day. Okay, so Genesis 5, starting in verse 1, we're going to read to verse 20. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh. And he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years, and he became the father of Kenan. And also Kel. Just kidding. (laughs) Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. I told you I was done with the dad jokes. Now I am, okay? I promise. All right. Uh, Kenan lived 70 years. He became the father of Mahalel. 
Then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalel lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. Then Mahalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared. He had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years, and he became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Praise God for his word. Uh, let's, let's just talk about one thing real quick. We already covered it, not going to go in depth, but the, the ages here could cause somebody to be very focused on, wow, that doesn't seem probable uh, that people live that long. Well, as we discussed in, in earlier chapters, it, it, you know, at this point in time, we are much closer to the genetic perfection of our first parents, and it, it, the, the cumulative effect of sin upon the human race had not begun to uh, have the same level of degradation as it does now. And so uh, it's for that reason, some would also say that perhaps um, the, the, the atmosphere was different based on the, the description of what happened with the flood. There may have been more uh, covering of the atmosphere. Basically, it's, it's all theory as to how it's true, but there are practical uh, and logical reasons that these ages are not uh, to be compared to a fairy tale or something else. This isn't just something we, we just have to turn off our mind to say, oh, okay, well, the Bible in Genesis 5 says a bunch of people lived into the, you know, to be several hundred years old, up to seven, eight, nine hundred. So uh, if, if that would be a block for you, let's talk more about it later, but let's... The, it's reasonable to understand. There are reasonable reasons why that could be the case. Okay, so let's set that on the shelf, and let's dig in here and see what the Lord has for us today. Uh, here we have a list of men who have their names included in the Holy Scriptures. And the question I want to ask is, what did they do to make the cut? How did these guys have their names basically immortalized in God's Scriptures? The answer is, they were fathers. The Bible says, of both sons and daughters. I told you when we were reading earlier, that hopefully you would see God's providence come through in the fact that we landed on this very difficult text to preach on this day. Uh, and we can, we can run with this idea of the importance of fathers faithfully out of this text. And uh, in case you're thinking, well, you probably planned that, <laughs> you overassume. Uh, how good of a planner I am. So I did not, but I'm thankful to God that he knew what was going on. But you might wonder, so what's the big deal? Why would being a dad warrant the honor of having your name included in God's word? That, that would be a fair thought, especially the way our culture sees fatherhood. Uh, the Bible has a strong and recurring theme about the importance of fathers. As a matter of fact, the most prevalent way we are invited to relate to God himself is as father. Think about that for a minute. God could have told us to call him king, creator, ruler, master, or any other title. And he is all those things. And it's okay to call him all those things. But more often than any other way, God invites us to relate to him as father. That's a big deal. It speaks to the importance of that office. It would be difficult to overstate the importance God places on the mantle of fatherhood. And it is one of the primary ways that men can walk out their first purpose of reflecting the image of God to the world. 
Now, before we look at how dads can have a powerful opportunity to reflect God's good character, let's take a moment to remove a barrier that may keep some men from taking up this noble mantle. It would be easy to think that if a man does not have children of his own, that he is left out of this important calling to protect, provide for, and point the next generation to the truth. However, the Bible teaches that the gospel makes the people of God the family of God. And that means men are not bound by biology when it comes to the opportunity to love and invest in people. That was big. I hope you got that. I'm going to rail on it some more, so if you didn't, you'll get it. We believe the Bible calls all men to be gospel fathers. I realize that's that's a big statement. Let me qualify it. We know that God is conforming each of us into the image of his son according to Romans 8. Yes? Okay. Jesus is the clearest image we have of God the Father according to Hebrews and Colossians. Right? So if Jesus reflects the character of God and we are being made by the power of the Spirit to be like Jesus, then all men can, with God's help, love, serve, and lead like a father should, regardless of whether or not they have children of their own. The gospel makes a wider net of possibility for men to be able to give of themselves and walk in the mantle of godly fatherhood. That's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a high task, but it's good. This truth, what the gospel does to us and how it binds us together and and widens the the view uh, that we have of family, uh, this can also reduce the sting for those who tend to struggle on Father's Day. There are many who are only remembering their dad today because he is crossed into eternity. There are some who never knew their father, and there's some who wish they hadn't. I am among your ranks, and I promise you that I understand the pain that can be associated with that, but I can really say with conviction that this is not just a theory that I'm proposing to you as we talk about gospel fatherhood. I have several men who have stepped up and, and, and they've become gospel fathers in my life, uh, loving me and giving me a godly example to follow. And it is, it's, it's precious to me precisely because they had no natural responsibility. It is only the love of God that has compelled them to love me and my family well. I hope you see the beauty of that. And I hope something in you men is being sparked that you want to be that for someone else. Because there's a lot of people out here that don't have a godly father in place. The reasons are as as many as we could count. However, it's true. We have an epidemic of fatherlessness in this country. Even those that would deny God's existence now through uh, empirical research of of why we have so many societal issues, many times what what is being pointed to is this idea that fathers are missing. This is is true, and it's it's an epidemic. And so we need men willing to stand up by God's grace to love and care for people, uh, even if it wasn't, even if they didn't come from their loins, right? Uh, God is calling us men to this, and I praise God for that call. Uh, but I also fully acknowledge we're going to need His help to do it, and we'll understand that more as we keep going here together. Uh, if you are someone who struggles on Father's Day and, and you can't say that you have gospel fathers who have stepped up and and stepped in, I, I would just encourage you to pray for that. And to open your heart to it, because God sees you, and he will answer. 
I know that to be true. Now, of course, in addition to that, there is solace and encouragement to be found in the fact that God is a father who will never die, he will never leave, and he can't ever fail us. So no matter what our situation is today, there is reason for rejoicing in the gift of fathers and in fatherhood. Praise God. Uh, One thing I also just want to mention along that line, Father's Day being difficult for some, I think oftentimes for people that would be in, in in the, whether you're an adult child of somebody or a children's spot, Father's Day could be difficult, but also there's dads who, for a various litany of reasons, may not be in relationship with their kids. Sometimes it's their own sin. Sometimes it's other people's sin. Sometimes nobody sinned, and it's just a difficult situation, and that's heart-wrenching as well. But everything I said before also can be a healing balm upon that wound because when you trust God and allow him to use you to love beyond just your own natural children, uh, that, that yearning that you have to fulfill the call of being a father, that, that can be expressed and received, and it can be fruitful uh, outside the realm of just your own familial line. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, that, the, these, the gospel can help what can be a very difficult day for some people not have to be so difficult if we understand and think in, in the terms God does about it. I'm thankful for that today. I hope you're thankful for it. It matters deeply. Amen. Uh, So as we talk today about the importance of dads and their legacy, there is important application for the ladies as well. God has made plain his intentions to use fathers as a major part of his redemptive plan. And so knowing why and how they are important matters for you as well. All the ladies in here have dads. And need to be able to understand how their relationship or lack thereof affects the way they see God. Because that's very real. Many ladies will be married to men who will be fathers to their children. And so knowing what the Bible teaches about their role will help them to pray and support them in that noble endeavor. Women who are single to remain uh, devoted in devoted service to the Lord will also have opportunities to pray for and encourage fathers in the household of faith. And they'll have opportunities to encourage young men to grow into the gospel fathers God desires them to be. So what's the point? The point is the truths we're going to see from God's word today will be about dads, but not only for dads. As is always the case, the truth of God's word has meaningful application for everyone. And so today is a Father's Day sermon, uh, but everybody, by God's grace, can receive something helpful and encouraging and challenging. Um, Now, just in case you think, and it's fair because I haven't qualified it yet, so I I hope maybe you're a little skeptical thus far. In case you think I'm overselling the importance of dads because it's Father's Day, right? It's preachers have to do. I got to match the sermon to the day, so sometimes I got to stretch it out. I don't don't really do that. I try not to do that. If you think I'm doing that, I want to read you something, uh, a couple things. This this is Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Now, Malachi 4, 5, and 6 also happens to be the last two scriptures in the entire Old Testament. This is how the entire Old Testament closes, and then we open up into the New Testament, okay? So that's a fairly big deal. I want to pay attention to that, right? Here's 
Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. It's a big deal. This is how the Old Testament closes. Dr. Luke quotes this in his gospel and explains that this turning of uh, hearts of the fathers to the children and children to the fathers, he says this is how to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's in the course of talking about John the Baptist who's coming to prepare the way for Jesus. According to these scriptures, there is something profoundly important about the relationship of fathers to their children. And this just doesn't mean only little kids. There is a need in the life of every person for the love and guidance and authority of a godly father. One of my common prayers is that God would anoint me to be this for my own children and for as many other people as God would will. There's something deep. I don't think I even fully understand why the last two scriptures in the Old Testament end with God and this this profound prophecy about the hearts of children turning to the fathers and the fathers to the children, why Luke picks that theme up. I've thought about it a lot. I see the need for it in our day. I see the absolute decimation that happens as a result of fathers abdicating their responsibility. And so I understand the heart of God about it. But there's something profound and deep woven into God's redemptive plan where he's bringing up this idea of the hearts of the fathers being turned to the children and the children to their fathers. And so there's, there's something deep there. I don't think I totally get it yet, and, and I doubt you do either, but it's obviously there. This matters deeply. I think it's also very interesting. We have an, you know, an entire chapter in Genesis uh, basically talking about dads having kids, and uh, they made the cut in that because of it. So the genealogy from Genesis 5 and these verses from Malachi and Luke along with many more we don't have time to look at today. There's other things I could show you. They support the incredible importance of men walking in the spiritual assignment and anointing of fathers. So the question is, but what does that look like practically? What does it look like for men to walk as godly fathers? What are the things God wants fathers to do as they reflect to those they love and care for how loving and caring God is? To find out the answer to those, we need to look for ways that our perfect God fathers us and see which parts of how he cares for us can be accomplished by earthly fathers. Not all of it, because God is God and we are not, but there are parts that we are brought into as we reflect his character and we're empowered by his spirit to do. So we're going to look at a few of those today. There are likely dozens more if you break these down to more specifics. But these will cover broadly the blessing and responsibility of fatherhood. Okay, So the first thing we're going to note is that godly fathers provide. Godly fathers provide. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty straightforward. Paul doesn't mince words oftentimes, and he doesn't hear says it real plain to the point. There's something here I want to show you. There's a hint here that we might miss. Uh, And and maybe it's hard for you to buy the idea of being a gospel father, as I was talking about, you know, loving much wider than your own natural lineage. I, I want to just point this out to you. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, 
and especially for those of his household. Did you catch that? His own and especially those of his household. So he's, he's making a distinction here. He's saying your own, but then those of your household, especially those of the household, that's, that's baseline, but he's also saying your own. What, what's that? Well, I think it absolutely flows out of the fact that Paul believes what I'm saying we believe, which is that men of God should be gospel fathers and willing to love outside of their own lineage. Paul called Timothy as his son in the faith. He told the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts that uh, he worked with his hands not only to provide for his needs, but provide for the needs of those who were with him, the companions he brought along to plant churches and do ministry. This is the, the heart of a father coming through. This is part of what it looks like to reflect God's goodness as a dad. Godly fathers provide. They plan and they work and they sacrifice to make sure that those who are depending on them have what they need to live. And this will often mean denying themselves certain hobbies or interests that they would otherwise indulge in if they had no responsibility to provide for the needs of others. We need to say this can look a lot dif- uh, and it, this can look a lot of different ways depending on the situation. And so we need to leave room for that and not judge a man's faithfulness by arbitrary standards that the Lord himself has not set. You understand what I'm saying? Um, different people have a different idea of what needs are, what is an acceptable lifestyle. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of room for what it looks like. However, God has made plain that the heart of a godly father is going to care about providing for the needs of those that have been entrusted to him to care for. And so uh, if you're not willing to do that, if you don't care about it, if love doesn't motivate you towards that, uh, the Bible says you're worse than an unbeliever. You're in, you're in worse shape than an unbeliever. It's worse for you to know the love of God, to see the profound provision of God, and not then care for those in the same way uh, with God's help. And, and there's, there's a little bit of a, it's, it's disrespectful to see God's great example of provision and not you yourself as a man of God want to do the same. Looks bad on dad, is what I'm saying. Uh, part of providing for those that we love is teaching those we love where our provision really comes from. It's a familiar verse, but Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You guys are Bible scholars here. What are all these things? Right? It's the basic physical needs that we all have to have to survive. He talks about, look at lilies, the way they're dressed. They're beautiful in all their splendor, but they don't toil, they don't spin, they don't do anything. Birds have plenty to eat. They don't store in barns. God takes care of them. The whole point is to refocus us upon seeking God first in his righteousness, trusting that provision ultimately comes from him. And so men of God, fathers, have to walk in this duality of knowing I have a responsibility to work and sacrifice and plan to be a part of how that God uses me as an agent to, to help provide for my family, but also to not let them focus upon me as the source of provision, right? To, to have them be able to look past me and see that ultimately, however it is I'm bringing 
provision into the home is because of God's good grace upon me that I've been, I have whatever gifts and talents allow me to make money or to farm or do whatever I do, right? However that happens in, in whatever context it is. Uh, the very fact that I'm breathing is a gift from God. And so that's why I'm here and allowed to provide for you. So God is the ultimate provider. And that's part of uh, our responsibility as dads is to teach those, the next generation coming behind us, uh, that, that very important principle. Uh, and part of that is also instilling in them the faith to believe in God's provision. Uh, this is Philippians 4.19. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's, very, it's important for fathers, uh, though we carry sometimes the weight of providing and we carry uh, the burden of having to, to make sure everything happens that needs to happen. We also need to practice taking that burden off, setting it at the feet of Jesus, and sharing that process with those that are watching how we live, uh, those that God has entrusted for us to lead. Uh, do we trust that he's going to provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory? Do our kids see us trust that? Do we, I, I know different, different parents have different uh, styles on this. Some parents don't want to ever let their kids know when there's a challenge in the home, whether it be financial or whatever it is. They just want them to <clears throat> be kids and, and never have to think about that or never have to worry about it. I, I'm, this, I'm not going to give commentary on parenting styles, but I'm just going to say that, that maybe one other way to approach that is to say to the kids, hey, uh, we do have this challenge. There, there's, a, there's a struggle that we're having here, whatever that thing looks like. But here's how we're going to approach that. We're going to trust God's word by faith. That even though we may not see right now exactly how this thing's going to work itself out, uh, we do trust that God is faithful to his word and that he's mighty and well able to provide for us. Bring them into the process of trusting by faith. Let them see you do that because one day they're going to be in the position, hopefully, as you've trained them and released them into the world to be the person standing in faith and teaching others to then do the same. This is what gospel legacy looks like, okay? Uh, you can ask the Lord to help you take whatever bits of that are helpful, and, and some of it may not apply to your situation directly right at this moment, and I get that. I'm not, I'm not speaking in absolutes in terms of that, but we do need to, as a part of providing for our kids, teach them how to trust in God's provision, or else they're going to develop this this manic disease that affects so many people in our world today where they, have, they don't have any trust in God's provision and so they do carry the weight of it all themselves and they're out here frantically uh, running the rat race constantly trying to get to some place of, of safety and comfort or attain some goal and uh, they're totally missing what life is actually about which is very tragic and sad and uh, we don't want that for our kids. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Godly fathers provide. The second is that godly fathers protect. Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Like God is for his kids, dads should be a source of safety for those that they love and care for. That's spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And this fact right here, the fact that dads should be a safe and protective force in the life of their kids, is why abuse from fathers has such devastating 
effects. Satan will do anything he can to put division between children and their dads. Uh, When children think of their dad, they should think, he will protect me, not he's going to harm me. When children are scared or overwhelmed, no matter how old they are, they should know dad is a safe person to go to. He's going to listen, and he's also going to speak truth in love to me. Even if the truth I need to hear may not be the thing I want to hear right at the moment. Amen? You guys have never needed to hear something you probably didn't want to hear, right? None of you, but maybe you'll meet somebody at some point that that'll be true for them, and you can share that little nugget. Amen. Dads will need the help of God's Spirit to do any of what we're talking about today, but for many, they will especially need help to be a safe place where their kids can find encouragement and help with their emotions. See, Jesus knew how to be tough, like when he cleared the temple. But he also knew how to be tender as he dealt with the woman caught in adultery. You see, as fathers, we should pray for this same circumspect discernment because those we care for are going to need both of those at different times. I know for many of you, a father or a father figure has failed to walk this line well. And it has caused you much pain. And I would just humbly submit to you this reality. Fathers are charged with an incredibly important responsibility. And they are accountable to God for it. But they are also human sinners. They're oftentimes dealing with their own pain and struggles. And if you're somebody with deep wounds from the failings of a father... Those must be brought with honesty to Jesus, and we must ask for his help to forgive and to give grace the same way we've received it. I know in my own life, sometimes it's been hardest to forgive somebody that was, they were supposed to be the one teaching me. That can be really hard. You feel very justified in your, in your feelings of being indignant towards them. But the command to love them and forgive them is no different. The world is not as it should be. And and many times, the gospel legacy that we're talking about and hoping for uh, in this sermon, a lot of times it doesn't go that way. And then it takes grace and the power of God to help us make it through the effects of sin as it does in every other arena of life. But this one can be particularly hard. And I know that. So I want to call that out. Say that that's true. And say that we have to go to Jesus with that. It's our only hope. If we internalize it, Um, try to psychoanalyze it, whatever. You can do all that, that's fine. But at the end of the day, if it's not brought to Jesus with honesty and humility, and you're not asking him for the grace to forgive in the same way you've been forgiven, there'll be no healing. That'll be a wound that continues to fester and to bring harm. We don't want that. When earthly fathers fail, it often makes it difficult for people to trust their heavenly father. Now, this is a connection the enemy wants to cement into your heart and mind. But here's the thing. God is not a man that he should lie. And his promises will never be undone. Every earthly father should seek to love those that God entrusts to him the way God loves his children. But every earthly father will fall short of this goal. 
This is where we are given an opportunity to pray for those who do us harm, whether they intended to or not. But what we must never do is believe the lie that the frailty of our dads extends to the father of us all. And that's the connection Satan wants you to make, and it's a false connection. It's a thought that is contrary to the word of God that needs to be taken captive and cast away. Many of us have been failed in various ways by earthly fathers. If you have an earthly father and you believe he hasn't failed you, then there's, a, there's an issue there. And somehow you've been blinded about how perfect your earthly father is because I don't know him. He might be the best. He might actually be the guy that should get the number one dad mug, right? You know, a lot of guys have them, but maybe he deserves it really for sure. But he's still a sinner. He's still a man that needs God's help and grace. And he's never going to be able to attain perfect fathering the way our Heavenly Father does. And so, if, if up until now you thought your dad was, was perfect, I, I, I hate to be the guy, but take, take him off that podium before destruction falls upon you. Because once you realize he's not, it's going to go real bad. Your whole world is going to be decimated. You can't put your earthly father ahead of your heavenly father. You can't do that. Even if number one dad t-shirt and mug belongs on, in, in his closet and in, in his cupboard. Amen. So these, these ideas that we're talking about, they lead us to the importance of the last attribute that we're going to discuss, and that's that godly fathers point to the truth. They point to the truth. And what is the truth? So that's, a, that's an interesting question these days, isn't it? What is the truth? In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Godly fathers, with their words, and actions, in the way that they provide and protect, and in all that they do, they should seek to point their children to Jesus. This is the primary role of every father and really every parent. Listen to these words uh, from God to his children Israel in Deuteronomy 6. He says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You catch what he's saying there. He, he didn't go exhaustive, but he's saying all the time. These commands I'm giving you, we're living them and we're speaking them. We're breathing them and we're eating them. In everything that we do, we do to the glory of God. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The point being that the commands of the Lord should be in the mouths and in the actions and the lives of parents as they teach diligently, what a word, diligently teach their children to know these things and obey these things. What a, what a holy call. What a high bar. That's why I told you, 
You start thinking for much more than a couple minutes or much outside of our cultural view of what it means to be a godly parent. It drives you to the feet of Jesus begging for help, doesn't it? Anybody else in here? That's where I'm at. Maybe you feel like you got it. I'm scared for you because you haven't heard anything I said. If that's the case, we're going to need the Holy Spirit's help to do this. We cannot do this without him. Every other responsibility dads have flow into this one big goal, teaching our kids to know and to love the Lord. Everything else we've said is true, but it's all a part of that overall high call, big goal. We want our kids to know and love Jesus. Now, many dads, you'll notice this. You've probably seen this. Many dads know instinctively that they are supposed to provide for and protect their children. You don't even really have to be a believer oftentimes to believe that. Now, there's many dads that don't do any of that, uh, and and we've already read what God thinks about that. It's not good. Uh, But the the issue is many dads think that providing for and protecting their children, that that that's, that's the high call of fatherhood. Now, we absolutely are called to those things as fathers, but they are part of the bigger calling, which is to leave an inheritance and legacy of godliness for our children. And, and I, think, I think many, many dads are, are tempted to be lazy in the spiritual and emotional department because they may be good providers or they may be good protectors. And that seems like many times that's the extent of what our culture understands about what it means to be a father, but we don't take our cues from the culture on what it means to be a father. We're looking at a much higher example That would be the perfect father of us all. And he does protect and he does provide, but he goes beyond that. And he's called godly fathers to do the same as they reflect his image and teach his children, which are the ones you have and have been entrusted to you are his anyways. Let's always keep that in mind. And he's called us then to be a part of how they begin to understand how good God the Father is. Again, we're not going to do it perfectly, but there's a beautiful opportunity when we fall short in that to teach our children the gospel by repenting when we fall short, not justifying or sweeping it under the rug or saying, hey, I'm dad, so be quiet. Uh, I don't want to hear about it. Uh, repenting and, and, and showcasing, modeling grace in the gospel to our children is a beautiful opportunity to do exactly what Deuteronomy is calling us to here and what the rest of the scriptures calls parents to, which is to constantly and in all things be teaching our kids to know and love the Lord. Our big call is to leave an inheritance and a legacy of godliness for our children. Proverbs says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, this does speak to physical provision. That's definitely the context of the verse. That's part of it should plan well enough to leave something for your kids, help them get a, a start into life. Uh, but like we discussed earlier, it's not, it's not just that. It is also far deeper than that. And <clears throat> in talking to a real close friend of mine, I, I, I heard an example of this recently that I have to share with you. Um, over, over this last week, we had some friends of ours here from uh, New Zealand. I met them. Natalie and I were counselors when we were 16. That's where we met uh, at a kids camp. And uh, my friend David and his brother Andrew, they were also counselors there, and so we've been friends for, oh man, uh, 16, is it 16 years now? Math's hard, I don't know, but something like that. A long time, so, a long time. So we've been friends a long time, and they came over to visit, and we were just sitting there uh, talking about ministry. They were able to come to a service, and, and he said, 
He said the highlight for him was seeing what God is doing here. He's ready to go back to New Zealand and just chew the whole island up for Jesus. So I'm excited about that. Uh, hopefully we can help him. But uh, So his, his dad, uh, they call his dad the Bruce, which I just think is awesome. Uh, so he's been uh, in the ministry in various ways for a long time, pastored uh, a church there in New Zealand. When, when, he, when he started that, when he felt God's call to be a shepherd over God's people, uh, what, what Bruce did is he, he had a farm, a, a lot of acres. And in New Zealand, if you're familiar with what that is, it's, it's a small set of two islands off like what would be the west coast of Australia. And so there's not a lot of land there. Okay, and so he had a farm, it was a lot of acres, and what he did was sold that farm to have the seed money to go and to plant this church. Uh, went into an area that a lot of guys would not have been willing to go plant a church, they wouldn't have considered it safe, and to this day the church never exploded into hundreds or thousands of people. Bruce pastors a small flock of maybe a couple dozen there in that area. Uh, a lot of times it's folks that are uh, of, of descent, of, uh, they're Pacific Islanders, they're known as Maoris there, uh, which can be a very difficult people group to reach because of the cultural barriers. The man basically sold the one thing and only thing he had to go and to preach the truth of the gospel to as many people as possible in New Zealand. He's given his life uh, for that endeavor. And David, in talking about that to me, he said, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, the way it would have worked is that was a family farm. And so that, that land should have been my brother and I's inheritance. And when Bruce sold the farm, it wasn't worth this much. It was probably worth quite a bit. Again, land is, is not, there's not a ton of it there, but it wasn't worth this much. But today, because of uh, a large rise of immigration to New Zealand and land prices have gone up, today that farm would be worth $7 million dollars. And what I want you to see is David sitting at my table thinking about that. He said, you know what? That now, my dad, in, in, in terms of dollars, has nothing. Everything, everything he got from the farm has been poured into the ministry and into trying to reach people for Jesus. And he said, so there is no inheritance for me and my brother. But he's in that way. But he said, you know what? Here's, here's my inheritance. He said, I have, I have an inheritance, a godly inheritance inheritance of gospel ministry. And I could tell, I could tell how real that was for him. And it, it hit me, man, all the way in my heart. And I thought, here this guy sits, he's like 36 years old. And I think so many parents would be terrified of, of feeling like they failed their kids by doing that. But this man in faith made this sacrifice. And, and now, now what God's cultivating in David's heart is how do I get in there and, and, and help my dad and actually take up this mantle and this legacy he's, he's paved the way for me to have. And what's, what's so beautiful is Bruce selling that farm so that he can preach the gospel to the people of New Zealand, the truth of all truths. And, and what is it? What, is, what message is so compelling that this man would take something that had been passed down from generation to generation that clearly it had to have meant so much to his family, and to put, to put at risk his sons and their sons and their sons ever receiving an inheritance. What message is so beautiful as that? It's the message of the gospel that Bruce wants as many people as possible in New Zealand to hear. It's the message that every single one of us are broken and dead in sin, that none of us is perfect, but that Jesus came. 
He wants those people to know there is hope, that so many of them are downtrodden, and he's in the roughest areas where, where hope, hope is, is, has been, it was left behind long ago. But he wants to come in and say, yes, you guys all realize in this, in this setup with these folks, you all know that we're sinners. You, you, there's, no, there's no confusion about whether or not everything is perfect. You can see the brokenness around you and in you. But here's the good news. That's not the end of the story. Jesus came. God sent his son who lived the perfect life that none of us could have and then died the death that all of us should have in our place for our sins. And then three days later, he rose up out of the grave declaring once and for all that everything he said was absolutely true, that death and sin were defeated and that there is hope for everybody in the name of Christ. Praise God for that legacy. You want to talk about an inheritance? Would seven million bucks split two ways be nice? Sure. But I'll tell you, the inheritance they're receiving from their father, it's going to last forever. And that's the kind of inheritance I want to leave for my kids. Both the ones that are mine naturally and the ones that God would give me by his spirit inside of the family of God. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave. A gospel legacy. Amen. Bruce, if you ever hear this, man, I give you honor. Amen. May we be a people who see the profound importance of godly fathers and encourage, equip, and help all men to be one. Whether they have biological children or not, and may we be a people who rejoice continually in the perfection of our Heavenly Father, knowing His provision, protection, and promises can forever be trusted. May all of this be for His glory and for our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Genesis 5, a chapter that so many uh, may have just skipped over. Thank you, Lord, that you brought us here to land today, that we could see that the reason, the only reason these guys are in the book is because they had sons and daughters. Oh, God, what an incredible and what an important mantle it is to be a father in your own image. Lord, help us. Help us to be faithful in this endeavor. God, I ask you to stir in the hearts of every man that is a part of Love City Church a desire to be a gospel father to their own children if they have them, but to all who are hurting and in need of the love and care of a good father. I ask God that the, those that have already done that, that they would continue as an example to those that have not. Thank you for those who have understood the importance of stepping in and stepping up when someone else maybe has stepped out. Thank you for those that have done that. They've been faithful. They've paid the price. They've sacrificed to love and care for those that may not have even been of their lineage. I thank you for gospel fathers. I thank you that every man that's a part of this church, no matter how old they are, that they would First of all, take care of the needs of their own homes. But then also, everyone, Lord, that you would entrust for them to, to love, to care, to lead, to protect, to provide for. Thank you. 
Thank you, Lord, that we can have a hope at all of being good fathers in your image. It's because you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit to help us. Lord, if it was not for the truth of your word, if it was not for the grace given to us through Christ, if it was not for the power of your Spirit working in and through us, Lord, we would throw our hands up and quit. This job is too big. It's too big even in our own homes, much less going wider than that. But Lord, we throw ourselves at your feet. We declare our need for your help. Not just as fathers, but as parents, Lord, for us to love you with all of our heart and our soul and our strength and to continually and diligently teach our children to do the same. God, we are so prone to distraction and selfishness. In so many ways, we get pulled off of that mission. But Lord, please help us. Please, Lord, help us to faithfully walk that out, to see the importance of it, to see in those moments when we're tempted to be short-tempered, when we're tempted to dismiss children, God, may we understand that legacy is being built. God, in the way we live our lives and in the way we allocate our resources of time and energy, God, may we leave a gospel legacy for the generation coming behind us. Thank you for those that have done it and shown us the way. Help us, God, to walk in their footsteps. I thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you that it makes any of this possible because if it wasn't for the gospel, every one of us that are bad dads, we would be written off. There would be no grace for us. There would be no hope. But because of the gospel, we can, we can even acknowledge where we've failed to live up to your example, Lord. We can ask for forgiveness and in so doing, model for our children what it means to believe that grace through faith is what saves Thank you for the opportunity to be gospel parents, to be gospel fathers. Please, Lord, please put a heart, a father's heart into your children, into the men that you've called by your name. May we please you in this and bring you glory. And may we help many people to find the father of us all. We worship you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.